about where I'm from, which is Northeast Brazil, is resilience and adaptability. And growing up where my grandma lives and a lot of uncles and aunts and cousins, there is a problem, huge problem with drought. And growing up, leaving the capital to visit them three, four times a year, I remember vividly uncles saying they don't have anything to put on the table because there's no water and they live off of of what they have but hearing those stories and seeing the disparity put a lot of things in perspective for me and hearing so much about it and how they they were always trying to adapt to whatever the weather the season presented to them in order to survive was so empowering to me because I would see that and I would see that they still have a smile on their faces. So who am I to give up just because I don't have money to do something? So that was always my go-to whenever I had moments in LA that I questioned, can I make it? I would remember what I saw, which is so vivid. I was just there last week and a lot of the stuff is the same. Remembering how they adapted and how their ability to recover from suffering, from difficulty, is on another level. So I think that really helped shape who I am today and how much I fight to get to something, to be something. Not to prove to anyone else, but to prove to myself that I can. We are just ourselves. I could Welcome everybody to the Faking Notes Podcast. Dude, I'm energized by this coffee that uh, Patreon supporter and Discord aficionado Aunt Shay gave us. And Faking Fan Future. Dude, this Getting is Getting hyped like, up. Aunt Shay, this is the best coffee I've ever had in my entire life. Thank you so much. I'm addicted. Aunt Shay, sponsor of the pod. Sponsor of the pod. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I'm pumped. This was one of the one of my favorite episodes uh, in recent memory. It was it was so deep. I, this was just a great episode. Mm. Caroline Menezes, she is you know one of my favorite people to work with in town. She's a violist. Shout out. So maybe I'm biased. Viola I'm gang. Biased, yo. Viola gang. Viola gang. She's a violist from Brazil. Actually started on violin, but switched to viola. Uh, She's and she's actually now one of the most sought after musicians in in LA. Uh, she's performed for movies, Creed Two, First Man, Crazy Rich Asians. She's a violist uh, who recently performed not once but twice on twice. the most recent Oscars with uh, Beyonce, Queen B, and uh, a live performance with Billie Eilish. Um, we've been friends uh, for quite a while now it's been like three years or so um i met her for the first time when we were doing uh kanye west's nebuchadnezzar at hollywood bowl and she came in on that last day and was just <laughs> so nice and it was just so funny we were just cracking jokes the whole time it was great and uh but now you know since we've been friends we've gone on hikes and stuff and even to this day like i learned so much about her on this podcast and I think you're going to absolutely enjoy it. We talk about a lot of the difficulties she had to go through because I don't know if you've heard this being a musician in America is hard. It's <laughs> even harder if you weren't born here. Some crazy stories of just the tenacity and the fight uh, that really brings about this like worldly global experience and also an incredible mindset that it is super valuable as a musician and how to be grateful and how to really like strategize and be pragmatic. She also did three years of law school. <laughs> and so we opened up with what does that do for you? Like what, what are some of those takeaways? Like how do you apply all of that to your life? So there's a lot of pragmatic things, analytical things, uh, approaches on how to, how to study and how to learn that she took with her and she's brought it into this now flourishing career out in LA, playing with all the big names. Mm. And 
so we get into the psychology of of opportunity cost. Like, how do you say no to things? We've talked a lot about saying yes, but how do you assess when to say no? And how do you really find out at the core what is it that you want to do, and how do you align what you're doing with your values? And so many gems, so many little nuggets, so many clips for social media. Speaking of that, social media, we're on TikTok now. We're on YouTube. We're on Instagram. We're on Patreon. Give us your money. And, you know, even most and most importantly, yes, please support us on Patreon. It will help us scale. You know, uh, producer Daniel has kids to feed. You yeah. Know, we- <laughs> He does. Do I really? You need more coffee, <laughs> bro. You should actually Check open your, your emails door. way more. Yeah, you should open your emails, bro. About that, <laughs> look behind you. But you look, but if you're just starting out, you're trying, you want to get practical tips and, and have a conversation with us. Join our Discord channel, uh, mm. uh, Discord server, uh, Faking Notes podcast. We actually are hosting. Um, hopefully we're going to get it to bi-weekly uh, studio it. classes where you show up, you can play whatever you want, help get over your stage, right? Get some uh, practical performance experience with people that care about you and are non-judgmental. This is a safe space to share your work. And um, yeah, join us there. Have a conversation with us. Get some input on what kind of uh, stuff we create here. And uh, that's enough promo, man. We should get back to this conversation. Let's with do it. The one, the only, Carolini Menezes. Carolini, thank you so much for being here on the Fake Notes podcast. True. Thanks so much for having me. Mm-hmm. This has been a long time coming, I'm telling you. Cause uh, it's my it's my goal to get like all of my all of my uh, homies from the studios and uh, on gigs out here in LA just to have a conversation. Um, we at the Faking Notes podcast, I, I sent you a little blurb in the email, but like we, we try to uncover the playbook uh, of what it's required to be a successful 21st century entrepreneurial musician. It's a mouthful, right? We have a lot of listeners who are, you know, kind of like in high school or they're about to graduate college and not sure what to do. And I wanted to highlight in our conversation today some like gems that uh, that you've learned uh, after being here for quite some time uh, in Los Angeles and building their freelance career and like maybe highlighting some things that like uh, are very helpful once you've actually gotten those first gigs, you've done the grunt work, you've like gotten your 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 feet bloody in the trenches. But before we jump into all that and my questions related to that, I wanted I was doing some research on you and I didn't know you went to law school for three years, which is like super interesting to find out because uh, you know, not a lot of people that I interface with have done that. Like, can you tell me? What's like a lesson from law school that has helped you in your career as a musician? Yeah, um, I actually went to law school for a few years here in Brazil, where I am right now. Um, What I've learned a lot from law school is the entrepreneurial side. I think the idea that you're going to graduate law school and become a lawyer like that, which is the scenario here in Brazil, Uh, is not existent anymore. So um, when I mapped out my vision for my life, back then when I wanted to become a lawyer, I had amazing mentors that walked me through what I could do. And at that moment, I was a musician already, working professionally in my city, in the state orchestra. And in fact, I was was in school full-time in law and part-time in music obviously got to a point that was too much to handle on Mm. top of work and everything else um, that I decided to, that was the moment that I decided that music was going to be something that I would have, you know, as a side, which completely changed after that. We can get to to that at some point, but um, talking to mentors and and thinking, how could I do that? Because the scenario I, I was in was 
is being a musician going to be enough in my city? And that was actually one of the biggest reasons why I went to law school. Because at that time, my family really needed my financial help. And I could not see a path as a musician that could be substantial for my life and for my family's life. So of course, you know, it's a very traditional school. You know, you're gonna get a good job at some point, but uh, even though the scenario is very different now, um, I couldn't see the possibilities in music, but I saw the possibilities in law. Hmm. So seeing the possibilities in law in Brazil made me realize that it could be possible in music, just not in my city. And I think that when I had that understanding and I went supposedly to the last professional music festival in my life, and I do this because I'm, it's quote unquote, in my mind, it was my last music festival in my heart. And, <laughs> and it was a farewell for me. Um, mm. That's when I got my scholarship to go to the US, when I was not planning, when I was actually in fact planning on continuing with law school and having music on the side because I had two incredible mentors in the US that said it is possible. It is possible to sustain yourself as a musician in Brazil. And we can show you that. So that's when my life completely turned upside down. I could not, I could see that through law. So that was my lesson learned in law school, that this scenario would be possible. And if I wanted to go with music, this was my chance. So it was kind of a divine appointment that I think I went to this music festival and hearing from two years, my first two years in law school, that there's so many routes to go, kind of opened up my vision to create a reality that before I didn't see possible. Damn. So that's kind of the it. lesson that I learned, <laughs> that I learned in law school. Wow. <laughs> you we hear stories all the time. We watch a talk show and some uh, actor or actress is going through there and they're talking about their first big break. And it's a similar story. They're at the end of the rope. They move to LA and their parents told them, okay, give it two years. And if nothing's going good, you know, come back home or whatever. Or they have $3 in their bank account. And this is the last audition. And then that's what lands them their role in the office or Game of Thrones or whatever. It's so fascinating that these little twists of fate that you're, you finally decide, oh, you know, what? The, this is it. It's okay. I've accepted this. And then just like the, the little, little twist, the little, the little trail just opens up and the foot gets in the door. That's, that's fantastic. Are, are there any, like, besides like the entrepreneurial side of things, in law, uh, is is there any other other aspects of that, like the ability to like study and do research or work within systems or having to make a case for something or yourself? Are there other little tangible things uh, directly from law school that have since helped you out? Yeah, absolutely. I think as musicians, we are so incredibly capable of doing very special things, but sometimes we're not very organized. And that's something that I, and that's something that I talk about with, with my students. There's so much to process emotion. There's, there's a lot to pour into the music, but we don't necessarily get the education to use our brains as much because it's a lot about our hearts. And that's how I grew up here. You know, the, the musical side is so developed, but but here, how to, how to be an entrepreneur, how to create a space for yourself, that's not talked about. And I think having that background from law school, you learn to be more analytical. You learn how to brainstorm possibilities that perhaps it is not presented in music. And I'm speaking from my experience here in Brazil. And in fact, I can speak of my experience in my bachelor's degree in the US as well. I wasn't quite taught to... Um, imagine different scenarios. It was, you're either going to become a teacher, professor, or you're going to play in a quartet, or you're going to be part of an orchestra. So being in LA kind of opened up a whole new world for me. Um, 
And I think that's something that I, it's even hard to explain until, you know, I've been in the U.S. for, tw- for since 2009. And mm. until this day, my mind is blown because of the numerous possibilities that we have there. And the fact that there is, in fact, space for everyone there. But as musicians, we're much more than creatives. Like, and in fact, your creative will be much more meaningful if you learn to be analytical and practical and pragmatic. Mm. Let's go. See, okay, so practicality and pragmatism. So is there like something you do in your daily ritual um, that helps you kind of like quantify and get more organized and like analyze, you know, results. You have inputs throughout the day, but how do you measure your outputs? Like, how are you keeping track of that? I think journaling is the biggest mm-hmm. thing and lists. It's one thing that in fact, um, I was talking to my father this week and remembering how he wrote everything down. Like, you know, at that time it was like all pen and paper and he would write everything on his day, literally like, this is the time to go for a walk. As simple as that. And and in my mind, like you don't do that, right? You don't pencil it in time to actually take care of yourself, of your, your physical health, your mental health. But because I saw that, I learned how to do those things for myself of, if I want my day to be successful, I have to write down time to exercise, to practice, to do everything kind of like a recipe book in order for to make things happen. Otherwise, if we go just with the flow, nothing really gets accomplished. So I think that's one of mm-hmm. the biggest lessons from law school as well that I had, because I just remember uh, my days where, you know, I would go to law school, start my classes at 7 a.m. I would be there from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m., have lunch there, then go to music, take a couple of classes because I was doing music part time and then finish by 5 p.m., have dinner, snack somewhere and then go to rehearsal for the orchestra from 7 to 10. And then when I got home at 1030, I would have to study like those thick books of. So how would I, you know, how would I go about it? Because time was so limited and I could not remove anything from my schedule. Absolutely. So I had to strategize to be able to do everything that I wanted as my choice, right? And my commitment. So how do I organize my time to actually target 10 chapters of civil law, of business law? (laughs) So it it took a lot of willpower, but a lot of assessing the outputs and how, how, um, because in the end, we're driven by results, right? I think the journey is very important, but the results are a must. Um, That was the biggest thing for me. Am I delivering results, the results that I want for everything? Faking fam, I'm going to need you to write that down in your journal. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is straight bars. Nobody, I don't know anybody who is successful from, maybe this is survivorship bias or this is it, it's like a select group sample size, but you know, everybody I know that has like achieved really interesting or big things, things outside of the realm of, uh, you know, the, the the beaten path, they've written it down. I was just talking to Winton last night over some tacos. He was like, yeah, like for my companies, I have an accountability journal every day before Mm -hmm. I go to sleep. I just write down what I did. And if I don't have anything to write down, I do something real quick. So I have something to write down you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's how it's done. Yeah. It's a good way to assess it. Wow. There's, there's so many things like that too. Uh, we, we even recently talked about this uh, within some of the past couple of episodes, but all the, the greats in air quotes, generals, world leaders, CEOs, social justice leader, anything, almost all of them have some type of journaling practice. They're doing that accountability at late night, trying to figure out like, and and it's not even super technical musings. It might even just be, well, what did I do today? Am I a good parent? You know, how was the farm or or what, (laughs) what have you? Like a bullet point. Yeah. Yeah. Just having that act of like writing down things. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. It's something about like the synapses in the brain. Uh, And that's definitely something from a law school background 
doing a lot of reading and a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so now you you've, you've been in LA for for so long and you're like an integral part of the scene and it's huge because so many things are happening. I mean just in doing the research and looking through the list of artists you've played with, all the big name gigs. I know there's been some like exciting ones recently. Uh, are there any particular like performances or moments or recording sessions that like stand out to your mind as like wow, I I made it or wow, that decision all those years ago. It's really like led me to this moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um in fact, um I played last year with the Eagles and the Eagles is is an incredible band, right? We all know they're <sighs> incredible. Um but it was so special to me because when I was here in Brazil, I studied English for two years. And after two years, my father couldn't pay for, for the course anymore. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, I'm very upset and I understand, but you know, my, my brother and my sister, they were able to finish the course and I was the only one that couldn't. So in my mind was, I got to find a way to learn because I enjoy learning languages. There's no places that I can learn for free. So I have to figure out a way since I can't be in this course. So with the Eagles, my, my dad used to actually hear Hotel California a lot. And he has no idea what they're saying. Have absolutely no idea. Just uh. two words, Hotel California. But I heard that so much. And because it was special for him, I wanted to not understand what they were saying. So it was through that band that I, I started printing out their songs to look at the mm. lyrics and to learn the vocabulary through the lyrics. And it was through that band, which is interesting because it's it's there's so many other artists that I'm crazy about, and, and, and it's not one that I'm crazy about, it's just the emotional value that it, it has for me. Um, but it was through them that I learned a lot of my vocabulary in English. So when I was on stage wow. with them, it was surreal because I'm just imagining this little girl from a, one of the poorest states in the country, um, just wanting to learn a language and not able to, you know, it's it's normal. It's a lot, a lot of people in, in from here, we don't have a lot of resources, especially from a state like mine. Very, very small. It's not one of the big cities like Sao Paulo and Rio. I got to find a way. I had to adapt and say, I'm going to do this, you know, whatever way it is. So to be on stage with them, hearing the actual band sing the songs that I would print out and then write down what is um, yesterday. And I would write yesterday, the translation in Portuguese. To be able to be there and hear that and understand the language, but not only that, to actually stay on stage with them, it it just helped me understand that anything is possible in life. It it, it Mm. showed me that no matter where you come from, it is worth it to dream. And I, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional talking about this yeah. because there's so many other incredible artists that are, you know, I have to pinch myself um, because I'm working with them. But this one, it was the emotional side behind it that made me realize that my choices were worth it. And my choices and the places that, I w- that I'm able to be in are a result of a dream of goals, a vision, and mapping out how to get there and trusting the process. Mm-hmm. I just wanted, I don't want to take away from how beautiful that was because you manifested that. That came, you learned so much of your English with that band and then you're, it's no, it's no surprise you're on stage with them. They're an important part of your journey. And it's so funny what you're saying about planning because you sound just like Anna Murakawa. <laughs> Who he had on That's the podcast? That's my sister. Yeah, we love her. It, it's it's just I love how the two of you have very different paths, and you're still coming to the same sort of the same fulfillment of your dreams. And I I don't really have a question there. I just wanted to say thank you for sharing that and being honest. I had no idea. That's so beautiful. Thanks, Drew. My my favorite. Um, 
learning English story too is uh, one of my composer colleagues, Alex Alexander Lieberman, had incredible English. Um, and, but he's also one of those interested in language, kind of like Anna, like could speak a couple different bits. And of course, his English was very proper. And then we're like, you know, he's just like, he would say some big word I wouldn't know. And, and he'd be like, how I'd be like, Alex, wait, like, how'd you go about like learning English? And he's like, oh yes, South Park, like, the, <laughs> like, and, and like all these like super offensive brash comedies. Like that's how he learned. I was like, how, what, like what episodes of South Park did you watch? Cause those are, I'd be saying things very differently, but <laughs> I actually have a really funny story about that. I was Tell just us. telling Tell us. Um, my friend, actually, Angelina, Cherie, and Dizmo. Of course. Like, yes, I was telling them because they were, they were asking me, so what did you learn? What did you like watch growing up and everything? And it's so interesting. So that was like one of the first questions that people asked me when I moved to the US. What did you watch there? And it's actually, um, when I was growing up, there was not a lot of of open TV that showed American mm -hmm. shows. We'd had uh, 24 Hours, Jack Bauer, What Else oh. Survival, <laughs> something like that. And we had Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, which, 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 this is hilarious. Check this out. So they asked me, so what did you, you know, in like back then in 2009? And I said, well, I used to watch a lot of uh, the show. And of course, with my broken English back then, not saying that it's the perfect, but you know, it's a bit better since then. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, the show with Will Smith, um, the one that's um, called, and you know, I took my time to say everything, a crazy one in the area. <laughs> and they're like... <laughs> What are you saying, Caroline? What are you saying? A crazy one in the area with Will Smith. And they're like, are you talking about Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? I was like, no, <laughs> no, let me show you on YouTube. And I Googled it in Portuguese. And that was the translation that we had here. A crazy one, A crazy in, one the in the area. Why? Because nobody's going to know what's Bel-Air. You know what I'm saying? It's a neighborhood. Nobody knows what's Bel Air. People maybe know Beverly Hills, Hollywood, but Bel Air, no. And Fresh Prince. So there's a lot of translation, lost translation when they do shows and TVs and movies. So that was a hilarious experience because I kept saying wow. a crazy one in the area, area. with Will like... Smith. And they're like, huh? Huh? What are you talking about? Show us. And it was every time it's, it's, it's so funny because I'm like, you know that movie, Beautiful Mind? And they're like, Huh? And then I Google it. It's a completely different name. So oh that is so. I I just Googled. I can't remember. There's these funny list of like your favorite show, but in other countries. And so even just to Google, like the the movie about the whale, Free Willy, uh, uh -huh. in Chinese is a very powerful whale runs to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that here too. It's completely different and it's hilarious. But all of that to say that I learned a lot of my English through that show because it showed every day, Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. So wow. I, had, I had any time, any chance I had, I, I put it on and then I, I had the subtitles and then I would write the words, you know, to start learning. And then I would look up in a dictionary from that time that we did not have Google and we went to open a dictionary. Um, just Before lots of times. memories when I talked about that. Yes. <laughs> I, I want to take a moment to segue because this was an unexpected segue possibility and I'm going to take it. So Will Smith uh, having multiple eras in his career, one pre-Chris Rock slap <laughs> and one PCR. PCR, and, 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 yes. you know. Yeah. So uh my question for you, um, because, you know, you were one of the amazing musicians who performed uh, at the Oscars, um, both with uh, Beyonce and Billie Eilish. Wow. I just want to mm. say, wow. Mm. What Was Billie Eilish, she was live at the Oscars and uh, Beyonce was like a video that you had pre-recorded with them, uh, with her, correct? <laughs> Yeah, she sang live. Bill, we Bill had the pre-record of um, Beyonce, both of them. Both of them, okay. Yeah, so, and the orchestra was a pre-record. Oh, uh, 
So did you, you did them both on the same day? No, no. Beyonce was a week before. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it was shot the week before. Yeah, and Billy Eilish was on stage. On stage, and, and, and I, I could possibly possibly be wrong here. Be, be, uh, Billy Eilish was definitely live, but mm. Beyonce, I believe she was live. I mean, if she wasn't, it's it's crazy, pretty incredible. Yeah. But yes, well, if it's, it, you know, t- typically though, with those things, like if you're doing a video shoot, you're singing live, but that's not the audio that goes into the video. That is played right, at sure. a later date. Yeah. You just yeah. do that for lip syncing and yeah. breath control and inflection. Just so a lot you can of huffing and puffing. Beer. Huffing and puffing. But uh, first of all, I just want to congratulate you. You're the only Thank person you. that I know that has had two Oscar performances for the same Oscars. Uh, that So that's absolutely fire. I, there may be other people who have had that, but that's incredible. I just wanted to... Um, before we talk about that Oscars, I wanted to uh, ask you your first time performing Oscars. Was that, that was with the weekend, correct? Yeah. Can you tell what, what was that experience like for you? Because like the first are always special, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you look back on that and, and what year was that again? That was 2016. 2016. Mm-hmm. So you had been in town for about seven years by that point, right? Um, I moved to LA in 2009, 2009 right? 14 for school for USC. 2014? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was in Azusa before, which was time that as an international student, I absolutely could not work in the industry because mm-hmm. of visa issues. So when I moved to LA and I was at USC, I had to get a few permissions from school to be able to work and support myself. But that was when it was, it wasn't until end of my master's that I started working, being able to actually work in the industry because of course, immigration is very strict on that. So in a way, like, you know, you were hamstringed. And I think that's something that we Americans don't really, we take for granted is that if you're not from this country, it's harder for you to build a career. It's already hard enough, but you had to like wait. Yeah. And, and in fact, um, we could spend a, a long hours here talking about that, but USC is a school known for not allowing students to work outside as much, especially international students. Because for us, we needed a permission to work. And that permission is very expensive. That almost doesn't justify you working outside if you don't make more than what you have to pay. And I remember vividly until this day that I had to be in meetings. And the person that advocated for international students was Midori. Um, At that time, she was the head of the department. And Midori, of course, fought for us. and And I don't know what's the situation now. But uh, I had to pay a hefty amount to be able to work outside of school, and which I decided to do since working in school, one of the school jobs that most international students have, which is working at the library, working at the bakery, working at the kitchen, whatever it is, you're making 10 to $15 an hour. So, and international students cannot work more than 20 hours a week. So from there you can conclude that there's no way you can support yourself in LA. Um, you know, you live yeah. in that part of town um, and find rent, even just rent. And of course I had to pay for rent and living expenses and health insurance, all this stuff that's required from international students. And 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 like I, I usually like to make, to mention this, for us, we cannot take school loans so that I had my hands tied because I had to find a way to work, to make money somehow and trust the process um, in order to survive, you know? And it it truly was for me a game of survival. I did not thrive. I did not, I basically survived my whole way through school, hoping that at some point things would change and, and eventually things did, but it took a long time and a lot of pain along the way. Um, and the Oscars, going back to that topic, I don't want to deviate from it. 2016 no, was something that kind of opened doors, um, which I'm very grateful for. 
because if it wasn't for some of those opportunities for higher paid jobs, I would have uh, been back in Brazil and I would have not been able to develop to develop what I am developing right now. Um, and probably the course of my life would change completely um, if it wasn't for that year, specifically 2016. What else happened in that year? Um, I graduated <laughs> my master's and then I went back for a graduate certificate, uh, two more years of school. Um, that allowed me to, of course, because you don't have all the classes from master's degree, you have more time to network, to work. And at that time I committed to, it's an interesting topic and I don't want to go too we deep can. into it, but no, we can. I can't. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do That's it. That's what we do here. Ready. We're, we're, we're a show of tangent. Let's go. Let's yeah. go. Um, I So basically I had to pay, the fee that you had to pay to work outside of school Yeah. was technically a class. Uh, a class that was one unit. In one unit, you can all look up, it's public information at USC, what costs for one unit at USC. And uh, that course, that unit was a four-hour um, allowance to work outside of school. You basically paid a certain amount to work four hours outside of school. So I, you know, with my big dreams and hopes and trust, um, and probably being naive a little bit, I committed to doing two units of that. So I could, find, uh. so I was allowed to work eight hours a week. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to go too much into detail. That's but information there. It's, it's a pay to play scheme. Like, That's which is very on brand for America. Like let's <laughs> just That's payola, literally. Pay to play. It's the subscription fee. I've just heard so many horror stories, and like same went true even just back at Juilliard. Thirty three percent of that school, a third, is international students, and depending on your financial situation at home, you have a very different experience either by the legal Absolutely. counsel, the the visa, where you were from, and it just it pains me to just know how hard it is to go out there and like survive in this industry, but then to have that other, you know, your backpack full of weights at even, even more debt. And to, to think of like how many creatives who just, who had to leave. Um, because I, I know there are certain visas to where it's, it's weird and quirky. You have to work within the field. And so for yeah. instance, a lot of, uh, my, my dancer friends, my choreographer friends, that pays nothing. Music is is a lucrative career compared to dance, which is also has a, a shorter time span. is dangerous. You get injured for a year if you if you make one wrong move. And so, so many of them who are amazing, creative, special people, because a dance company or a troupe can't pay much, you're you're barely making anything. The normal course of action would be to teach fitness classes, which is great. It's the workout you need. It pays well. It's a two-for-one deal. But that's not dance. So they weren't allowed to teach it, couldn't teach yoga, couldn't do anything outside, and they had to leave. And so it's like devastating like how many stories and, and people we may be speaking to who weren't, a, who weren't able to survive. But it's also like a testament to how crazy it is that you made it through and to your like will and spirit to make that through in two credit hours at USC. <laughs> and going back to that, I appreciate you saying that, um, Trevor. I think it's, um, it's it's still hard until this day to talk about these things because it's kind of a phase in my life that I thought about giving up and I thought about why am I doing this when I can finish my law degree. I had a lot of those moments, mm. um, but it was the artistry was too strong in me to simply give up and so i think one of the one of the things that i learned the most about where i'm from which is northeast brazil is resilience and adaptability my family is located in the capital of my state but most of my roots are from the countryside which is it here in northeast is very similar to the south of the united states mm -hmm. um and it's very family-based and there's a lot of wonderful things, but there's less resources. And growing up where my grandma lives and a lot of uncles and aunts and cousins, 
there is a problem, huge problem with drought. And growing up, leaving the capital to visit them three, four times a year, I remember vividly uncles saying they don't have anything to put on the table because there's no water and they live off of, of what they have, what they, what they plant, right? So for me, that was a different reality because that was not a problem in my hometown. But hearing those stories and seeing the disparity put a lot of things in perspective for me and hearing so much about it and how they, they were always trying to adapt to whatever the weather, the season presented to them in order to survive was so empowering to me because I would see that and I would see that they still have a smile on their faces. So who am I to give up just because I don't have money to do something? So that was always my go-to whenever I had moments in LA that I questioned, can I make it? I would remember what I saw, which is so vivid. I was just there last week. And a lot of the stuff is the same, is very similar. Remembering how they adapted and how their ability to recover from suffering, from difficulty is on another level. And that's why I I speak so much about the fact that the U.S. and outside, outside of Brazil, our region is not talked about enough. And I am so proud to say, you know, more than I am Brazilian, that I'm from Northeast Brazil, because that's the reality that we live here. And that's the reality that's not seen. I think when people mm. think of Brazil, they think of the big cities and it's a joyful country. And a lot of the poverty that's in here that I saw in front of my eyes, in my own family is not talked about. So I think that really helped shape who I am today and how much I fight to, to get to something, to be something. Not to prove to anyone else, but to prove to myself that I can. Mm-hmm. I want to let you know that you're doing a phenomenal job. I don't know if you hear that enough, but you are. You're an inspiration, um, not only to me, but I'm sure you're an inspiration to so many people in Brazil that are looking to do the same thing. And I know the things that you're sharing today, they're going to reach at least one person and it's going to touch them. It's going to change the way they think. And uh, you're, you're, Thank doing, you, you're doing the work. Thank you. Then nada. Appreciate you. <laughs> I know you, it's Portuguese. I can't speak Portuguese. I can only speak it's a little okay. Spanish. I got you. You're you got, you're gonna have a few yeah. words in your pocket by this there end of the summer. Let's go. Okay. Yes, go. that's what I'm looking for. It. Yes, multilingual <laughs> in here. So back to you know this inflection point. So you had this total like like Trevor said, you had a you know a bag a book bag full of rocks trying to build your career. You graduated in 2016. I did too, by the way, with my master's. And and then you you take your master's, you start building your career. uh, You do this Oscars with, uh, with The Weeknd. And then you get to a point where 13 years after moving here, you become incredibly in demand. Right. And things shift to where, like in uh, some other interviews, you've spoken about, um, you know, being overwhelmed with so many possibilities of things to do and how do you prioritize and things like that. And one thing that I wanted to get into with you, um, especially because, you know, there will be people listening to this podcast who get past that starting point. They're now taking flight and now their schedule is too busy. They're getting burnt out and they need to understand the value of saying no. So as somebody who's like high in demand in one of the busiest musical cities in the world, what kinds of gigs are you saying no to? What do you think is the value of saying no? And why are you saying no? I think... In fact, that's a conversation that I was having with a few people yesterday. Yeah. Um, it's okay. Interesting. I, it's very productive when I when I get here. I have a lot of fun and I come and work, but it's it's very productive for my soul. And and I mm. think 
I like to talk about this with people that are outside of the outside of the realm of music because um, it's enriching to me to hear others' per- perspectives and people that know me really well. But um, I th- to res- to answer your question, um, I think for me, what doesn't align with my vision for life is not worth my time. I'm not saying that it's not worth it. I'm saying that if it doesn't align with my vision, short-term, long-term goal, it no longer serves the purpose. And it took a long time for me to understand that. I think as an immigrant, it's a luxury to be able to choose what you work with. Yes. And I've mentioned this before. I wasn't in this place to choose before. And we have talks about these two, Drew. There's sometimes we just have to do it. You just got to do it. Yeah. Right? And you have to humble up and just do it. <laughs> got to play that wedding. It. Daddy's yeah. got to yes. buy some Bitcoin. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Passive income, investment. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so that um, to get to that point, though, like, so what are the, like, the parameters? So, to be able to say no, what does that look like? What does that life look like? Yeah, I think in a very tangible way, we have to be very realistic that being able to say no to me is still a luxury. But if you know where you want to go and you have a vision and you want to be in alignment with that vision, it's not going to be a gig in your life that's going to make a difference financially. But you can, to me, you cannot get to this point if you have not done enough to get to a certain place in life, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, six, seven years ago, yes, I needed to teach on the other side of town for a hundred bucks and spend probably a whole day teaching. I had to, I had to pay my rent and I had to buy food and I was on a very tight budget. But nowadays, what's more worth it? I'm not saying that it's not an opportunity, but perhaps that opportunity will serve someone else better than me at the moment because there's other things on my plate that need to be worked out and planned out that perhaps having that half a day or three hours of my day to plan and strategize, have a strategy about it, that's actually more important than trying to make that quick buck. Wow. Uh, this is speaking directly to me because I was also talking about this yesterday with my wife. <laughs> I got reached out to about teaching at a program. I just recently moved back to New York and I loved what I was doing when I was back here before I left four years ago. Teaching things were great. I loved the programs and I got reached back out to like, hey, we'd love to have you back. I love the school. I love what I did. I have more control. The money's great. But I'm talking about it with my wife. I can't, I can't do all these, these things. Like before it was yes, 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 yes. And it's the same opportunity coming back. And even though it checks off a lot of boxes and I love it, there's someone else as part of the equation, there's time. And I've been thinking exactly, and it's reaffirming to hear you say it, that like, does this move forward and align with my long-term goals? Not really. One year will pass. I'll have a little bit more money from this side of things, but I've done that. And that I think sometimes with our musician mindset, I mean, part of it is of course the, you know, the scarcity mindset we're worried, is that phone going to stop ringing and I'm pretty hungry and rent's not going down yet or ever. Uh, and, and we get, we get all worried, but it is, it's a privilege and something we've worked for to reach that moment to say no. And also this may not be the gig for me but it's the gig for some someone else. And in order to have these conversations with ourselves, you've set yourself up for that because you're writing things down. You're being analytical. You're being pragmatic that if I say yes to this, I'm saying no to something else. And that no is maybe what moves me forward and aligns with my goals. Yeah, and that no is, is more powerful sometimes. And gives us a, a stronger sense of agency. Oh boy, mm-hmm. have I been using it? 
<laughs> oh boy, have I been saying I'm no. I'm proud a lot. of you, Drew. Oh, no hammer. Scary. No, because when I first moved here, it's yeah, very scary. Me, I had to say yes to everything, even stuff that I knew Same. that was quote quote beneath me. Um in terms of like my long-term vision, but you're right. You Mm -hmm. have to pay the bills. The one refrain that I always come back to is high schoolers need gigs too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. High schoolers need gigs too, you know? And it's like, when you realize like you have a master's degree, you've been doing this for two decades of your time on this planet, you know, you are an expert and you deserve to be compensated like an expert. And if they don't need an expert for the job, they don't need you. Yeah. And the, the one concept, do you, are you familiar with the concept of opportunity cost? Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's one of the most overlooked perspectives for musicians. Can you explain it a little bit and how it fits into your worldview? Yeah. I, I think I think the word opportunity is not talked about enough in our field. Um, One really a brutal question that I had to ask myself was, what kind of opportunities do I want and do I look forward to? And what's the cost to get to that opportunity if it's in my control? Mm -hmm. I don't have answers for that. I have my own way of getting there. And of course, I talked to my partner about it and I talked to my family about it, but it's, I think it's subjective. We don't know what's on the other side. And what I mean by that is you just mentioned, Drew, that you had quote unquote opportunities that were beneath you. Perhaps that if someone listens to that word beneath, they might put you in a box of this person is arrogant mm-hmm. or this person is this and that. Yeah. But as musicians, we're not taught to value ourselves enough. Yeah. So how can we analyze if the, there is opportunity, the opportunity and the cost of that for our lives? Because it's so easy to see the opportunity and the advantages of that in the short term but it's much harder to see the long term, right? Yeah. So, oh yeah. We'll see. So I think so. It's just to finalize, mm-hmm. I think it's very subjective. Like I mentioned before, I've done crazy stuff to be able to support myself in the beginning. But Preach. what I'm saying is, at the end of the day, one has to really sit down and be brutally honest to answer what's the cost in for my life, for my vision, in order to get somewhere that I imagine. Because sometimes people don't even map out a scenario that they want for their lives, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people, a lot of people go with the flow and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we gotta respect that, but in the world that we live in, you gotta plan out at least a little bit, you know, because if you don't plan it, <laughs> if you don't plan it, other people will plan it for you. Absolutely. Can I, can that's I, how this system is, yeah. is set up to, right? Oh, yeah. Can I give a little bit of context? Because, yeah, you know what? I said it was beneath me, and I chose those words very carefully. And I want to give context because I think this is an important you. thing for musicians to really understand. I am not a college kid. I'm not a high schooler. I have a rent to pay. I have car insurance. I have a car payment. I have investments for retirement that I need to fund. I have health insurance I need to fund. And I want to be a father one day. I want to own property. I want to, I want to build a family. So when I say that it's beneath me, I say that only because when you get older and you gain experience, you ascend to new levels of things you want to achieve and things you want to provide for. If you get better at your craft, you can provide more value to other people as well. And so as you ascend, you also can acquire more value. And so I don't say that like I'm better than that. It's, Mm -hmm. it's more to say that like, I've done that in the past. I no longer need to do that. 
because mm-hmm. I can't pay for a kid's diapers by doing weddings all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I can't fund college in 18 years with busking in the subways, right? And and mm-hmm. I don't think I really need to do that because I still actively invest in my skill every day by practicing, by learning more, by building businesses. So I think that, you know, it's, it is important. Words matter. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that musicians value themselves. I want to echo that. They don't value themselves enough to realize that when you do something that is on another level, that you now exist here. You don't have to go back down if you don't mm-hmm. want to. So. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to when when I when we I love that you know, and I get you. I, I just want us to, to talk a little more about it because people can understand and can view this in two ways, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's it's helpful to clarify what we mean by it. But yes. I think to think in a very pragmatic way, it's so important to understand the returns of our time spent in our craft mm-hmm. and understanding the value that we provide as a human being. Because at the end of the day, in everything that you do, not just your work, even in your your relationships, you are providing some kind of value and you are in some ways expecting some kind of value. And it's not to say that that, that life is an exchange. It is an exchange, but not a, um, a transaction. But we all look forward to some kind of value being provided, whether it's, an idea, an emotional value, we we have the ability to provide that for each other. And if we're not aware of that for ourselves, how can we assess the values that we're providing or others are providing for us? That's such an amazing little gem, little quote, snaps, snaps. <laughs> Because, Damn, that's a clip. Ooh, clip it. Yeah, we got a clip. All right, <laughs> shut it down. We're done here. We got the clip. No. It's so true. And we've spent a lot of time. We even have a couple episodes like named value or something. like That's the title. It's about assessing your value and balancing time, money, and value because they're all interconnected. But it seems like for all of us, like the longer you're in the game – like how you have to prioritize things and of course the gigs you take. But I think it really starts to come down to that mindset. It's the same. I would love the money right now from that job I was mentioning earlier. I even love it. It checks off so many boxes. But that's something Trevor from four years ago would have would have done or would have been happy to do it. And so it's I can have an opportunity to give that to the Trevor from four years ago. Mm-hmm. And that that money, even if it comes in, you know, like I don't need it. It's not aligning with those future mm-hmm. goals. And something else that I thought was interesting that you you mentioned is it's hard to weigh the value of what we don't do because it doesn't happen. Right. It's a counterfactual. We can never prove how good our decision was to not do something because it didn't mm-hmm. ha- like that is done. You see that all the time in news. When something goes wrong in the world, a politician's like, no, we're not going to go do this. And then it, it turns south. And then everyone comes out of the woodwork and they're like, well, if they had just listened to me, I was in the room and, and said, if we did the this plan this way, it would have gone perfectly. No, that's a counterfactual. We will never know. <laughs> like, There's no proof. It's so easy to say. And I think we do that to ourselves. I'm sure there are always, there's almost moments of weakness for everyone. You're sitting there and you're thinking, what if I had just gotten that law degree? Like maybe this would have been easier or maybe, you know, how would my life be different then? And while it's, I guess, a fun little exercise, it's something that we never, never really have to prove. It's, it's unprovable. And that I, I don't know, embracing, right, radically embracing the present and the reality because that's the only thing that is. Like, like that's here. Like, I don't know, that started to Mm -hmm. help me with this value Mm -hmm. mindset. I'm so caught up in what I want the future to be without enacting steps to bring me to that future because I'm caught up in the past of the decisions I didn't make, which is crazy. so deep, bro. That's why you got to be careful living in the fourth dimension. You got to do it very intentionally. The the present's a hell of a drug. Yeah, it's crazy. It's the present, though. It's the present. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's deep, Trevor. 
Um, I vibe with everything that you're saying. Isn't he and cool? Yeah. And Trevor you took cool? us there. He's awesome. You, you took we us both there. Are. Oh, you, well, you're awesome. Like, I love the way your brain works, Carolini. Like, you really, it, it shows that you take time being intentional, like, really assessing what you want. And, and that's why I wanted to bring you on here because, like, every conversation we have, I learn so much. And I wanted to share some of that learning with, uh, with our audience here. So I, I actually, I wanted to open the floor for you. Like, can you talk a little bit about being in Brazil, visiting family and, and doing some work in, in Brazil right now? Like you're giving master classes and a concert. Can you tell us what you're, what you're getting into? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm in my hometown. It's called, it's named John Pessoa. John Pessoa. John people. João John uh, Pessoa people. It's in a coastal city, a very small state. If you look it up, it's Paraíba, P-A-R-A-I-B-A. Um, very strong culture. I love being back here. It's it's beautiful and it's also hilarious because I think in a cosmopolitan city like LA, it's very interesting to see the amount of cultures, the mix, and then come here and be like, wow, these people are very much Brazilian's Northeastern. So it's very, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I'm just like, I'm, I'm in love with the city and not just because I have family here, but I'm here visiting family, um, enjoying a few things in town and I'm heading to South Brazil to work there this week. I am teaching a few master classes with uh, a partnership that I created with a few organizations and foundations in town in South Brazil. So there is going to be a concert happening this Saturday um, where I'm going to be playing mainly classical uh, repertoire of Brazilian composers, Latin American composers. I'm really excited about that. And, and this master class for chamber music and for violas and violins uh, in the city. That's amazing. Giving back. How does it feel? Here, Drew. I yeah. want to come. That's what I was thinking. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to go to Brazil. You got to like, come that's... next time. You got to come. There's, you know, there's yeah, just honored. so many amazing friends in LA that I can't wait to bring here. I just, it's just, it's going to happen. I feel it. I'm looking forward to I that. Let's it. get it. Um, it's, mm. it feels amazing. I think it, it hits me in a different way than when I'm working in LA. And of course, the way that I see my work in LA is with so much gratitude because it's not my country and and I don't take anything for granted. Every single work is valuable and I learn so much from it. But being in my country, serving and working and bringing my work back, it feels like a payback. You know, I do a lot of community work and I'm very involved with communities there around um, East and South LA. Um, and it's a place that has grown in my heart for a long time. Um, so, and that's the place that I dedicate most of my time, right? But so being back here is is beyond special. And to me, it feels surreal because it's been, I've left so long ago that when I'm here, I feel so connected yet also a little bit disconnected because that's not my everyday life. Even the way that I present a concert or a masterclass here is so different than it's done in the US. So I think for me, having this perspective is so enriching and it just gives me this um, immense amount of joy and excitement to, to bring some of the aspects back to my life and my community in LA. So all I can say is gratitude, man. It's it feels amazing to be back and, and working here and 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 serving my people. It it's an honor. That's that's the word that can describe. <laughs> I love that. There yes, we go. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well done. Daniel, please Daniel. Yes, Daniel. <laughs> I, w I wanted to maybe begin to start wrapping this up because I do know that like your time is valuable and we're almost at a full hour of your time. I wanted to like give you 
give you one final question because, um, you know, there are people that, you know, are still at the beginning of their, the journey. They, they may have heard your story about, you know, coming from a relatively impoverished part of Brazil, getting a scholarship, then coming here and then not even be able being able to work and having to deal with all that. And now you're really like among some of the most sought after musicians in the whole damn city, which is just, it's so cool being friends with you. When it comes to networking, because that's like an ugly word. And we've actually talked about that, you know, on the podcast quite a bit. What's the biggest lesson you've learned about networking and building relationships with colleagues? Because I feel like a lot of people miss and mess this up. Yeah, it's it's such a big word. And I think it is so much more strong there than here. Mm. Um, it's a more pointed kind of intention and relationship that you build with your colleagues in your profession. Um, for me, I knew... And I heard this multiple times from my mentors, my teachers, that if I wanted to make it as an immigrant, I had to reach for beyond excellence. And to me, that's what what that's the most important. Be good at your craft and always try to be better at it for yourself and for your industry. And in terms of networking is stay humble, stay collaborative, diversify your work be open, be adaptable, be curious, and remain and have the mindset of being a forever learner. That's how I see networking. Mm. Need, need she say more? That's literally everything. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's too much fun. You're, you're a rock star, Carolina. <laughs> so much for being here with us and uh for people who want to follow you and learn more about you like where 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 would you like to direct them yes social media website it's all up there carolini with the k menezes and uh we're all connected drew i don't think i have you yet trevor so i'm gonna look you up we'll get, get that linked <laughs> for everyone but else I actually yeah. have information about a lot of um Brazilian students were asking me about master classes and such. So I'm going to be dropping that on my social media today. So okay. the Brazilians here will be able to see it. And, and, and I'm sure when this comes out, I want them to know your work. Drew, you're an incredible violist. A lot of people talk about, oh my gosh, you were friends with that viola kid, the guy from Juilliard. <laughs> and suddenly I feel so much cooler than what I am. Thanks to you. <laughs> That's wild. That's wild. Well, I want to come down and meet everybody. Like, yes, I, it's going to happen. So much it's we definitely going to happen. Yeah, it'll be fun. Sheesh. Carolini, thank you so much for being here. Fake and Fam, go guys. follow her. She's huge. She's just one of the most interesting musicians on planet Earth, and you need to know her. Thank you, Drew. Thanks, Trevor. It's a pleasure talking to you guys. Till next time. time. Till next time. time. There you go. It's what's in a blue moon I do.